Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Learn to Love podcast, your guide to everything love, sex, intimacy, and relationships. Each week, your host, Zach Beach, interviews new experts on love, including couples therapists, relationship coaches, sex educators, and best-selling authors. Learn the best tips and cutting-edge wisdom to better love yourself, others, and the world. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the Learn to Love podcast, everyone. I am your host, Zach Beach, and I'm here with the incredible author and sex educator, Allison Moon. Hello, Allison, and welcome to the show. Hi, Zach. Today, we are going to be talking about casual sex and community. And for those that don't know, Allison Moon is the author of the critically acclaimed sexual education guide, Girl Sex 101. Moon is a popular sex educator, leading workshops on sexual pleasure and technique, polyamory, LGBTQ issues, and more. She has been quoted in Cosmopolitan, New York Magazine, and The Washington Post. Her other writings include the story collection Bad Dyke, Salacious Stories from a Queer Life, Articles for Bustle, and stories for the Risk podcast, Body Storytelling, and various anthologies. She is here to talk about her new book, Getting It, A Guide to Hot, Healthy Hookups and Shame-Free Sex. How are you today, Allison? I'm great. I'm great too, and I'm so happy (laughs) that (laughs) you're on the show. You know, we've known each other for a long time. I've always admired your work, and I've always admired you just as a person in general. Uh, You're amazing, and Around sex and sexuality, I've always found you very empowered, very comfortable in your sexuality. And I've also known you spent many years teaching adults how awesome sex and how to get to know their bodies more. So I was surprised to find out in your new book, which isn't out yet, it's coming out. When is it coming out? December 29th. Awesome. Coming out at the end of this year. So I was surprised to find out in your new book that you weren't always this way, that at around the age of 18, you still suffered from sexual shame that many people are probably going through right now, including what was taught to you by your parents and the terrible sex education that many of us received, as well as messages from the church. So I'm wondering what happened and how did you get to where you are today? Oh my goodness, what a big question. (laughs) Well, I think for me, you know, a lot of it was realizing that... The messages that those people gave me, my parents, sex ed in school and the church, they may have come from a really okay place. They may have come from a place of love and compassion and an attempt at protecting me, right? I think a lot of these messages do. It's very easy to condemn sex negativity because it does quash a lot of people's self-expression. But basically what I had to do was to look around at the world and see how many of these messages were real and fact-based. I do feel like for whatever reason, I think a lot of it had to do with my parents just raising me to be an inquisitive person. I started to interrogate the messages because when I had sex with my high school boyfriend, like I didn't feel diminished afterwards, but we weren't married. So why didn't I feel diminished afterward? And I think it had to do with a lot of this like, where is this message coming from? What's the agenda behind this message? And do I believe it? And Basically, what I started doing was really just looking around and questioning a lot of the assumptions that we had. And so, you know, I, my sex ed in school was very much like abstinence is the best choice. It wasn't the only choice that they taught, but it certainly was the best one. But because they taught us that, you know, when you lose your virginity, you diminish yourself a little bit. And I had to say that didn't feel right. 
And in that high school relationship, it did end kind of in a lot of drama, like a lot of high school relationships do. After we broke up, I again asked myself, was it because we were having sex that this feels terrible? If we hadn't been having sex, would I feel just as terrible? And I kind of got to the point where I realized, oh, actually, yeah, this doesn't have to do with whether or not we had sex. It has to do with how well we treated each other when our feelings started getting kind of blah and when we started kind of growing out of each other. And that was when I started seeing like a lot of the stuff that we attach to sex isn't necessarily isn't necessarily sex's fault, right? It's not necessarily the sex that's the problem, but it's kind of the easiest target. And so from then on, I just kind of started paying attention. I think also, you know, I realized that I was bisexual in high school, but it never occurred to me that, that I was any different from all of my friends because I just kind of assumed that everybody felt that way about their friends because, you know, we're friends. And it took me until talking to conservative Christian kids who told me that I was wrong and abnormal that I started really starting to think, wait, wait a second, this is, I think this messaging is pretty, is pretty twisted. I feel happy. I feel love. Why are people trying to tell me to stop feeling happy and to stop feeling love? And I think generally that's been kind of my North Star ever since is to like make choices that lead towards more love rather than less. And I think that when you look at the world that way, I think relationships can become far more rich. And I think that shame becomes harder to feel and put on others because you're not making choices based on fear. You're making choices based on love. Hmm. That's really beautiful that your path was a huge affirmation that you deserve happiness and that you deserve love. And whoever you're into and whatever you're into doesn't mean that you're any less deserving of love. And it still is affirming that you deserve happiness in this life. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned how the messages come from good intentions and it reminded me of like the road to hell being paved with good intentions. <laughs> is that, yeah, you know, like in sex education, you know, many people are just taught about the diseases that you're going mm -hmm. to get and how bad they are. And it's like, okay, well, I understand you're trying to keep me safe, mm -hmm. but maybe we can talk about pleasure instead. <laughs> right, right, right. And just, you know, trust people with knowledge. And I think that this, mm. I mean, that's a very Judeo-Christian tenet too, like that the idea that knowledge is a bad thing, that curiosity is a vice. And I think that it's not just about sex, it's about so many different things. And I think we need to really start paying attention to that and how the ideas of, of curiosity, using our intellect is somehow a bad thing, or encouraging young people to use their intellect and make good choices is somehow a worse choice than just telling them not to do something. Hmm. And that's what brings us here today is thinking about what knowledge can help us in our relationship. And when you mentioned that one of your high school relationships ended with a lot of drama, I was like, ah, yes. <laughs> 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 and I think drama around relationships is kind of people's MO. It's mm -hmm. kind of people's norm. If you were like, even introduce something like a casual sex relationship, people would be like, oh, yeah, well, it starts out casual, but then eventually emotions come in and it gets really complicated. So when I started reading your book and it's all about hooking up honestly, happily, and drama free, I thought, wow, drama free? Is that even possible? <laughs> I mean, I think it's possible. I think it's hard, right? And I think it's hard for a lot of reasons. I think that we tend to go into relationships protecting ourselves and holding back things. And that can be just as true for a one night stand as it can be for a marriage, right? Because we kind of tiptoe into intimacy. 
And then oftentimes on the other end of it, we might find we get to a place where we've shared so much and we have gotten so intimate and we revealed so much about ourselves to maybe just this one other person in the entire world that when the relationship either starts to dissolve or you find yourself moving in different directions, there's almost, I mean, I'd say it probably goes back to shame. We feel embarrassed for the things that we shared. We feel afraid that they're going to use those things against us. And we start to hold back again. We start to, to remove some of that connection to protect ourselves again. And I think that's where a lot of the drama comes from, is that as we move away, we start to kind of gather our things and shield ourselves from the fear and the pain of, of ending a loving relationship. And so we withhold things. We don't say what's on our mind. We don't talk about our feelings. We, we don't feel comfortable sharing the very messy feelings of like, I, maybe I'm still in love with you, but I don't like you right now. Or I've never had such deep emotional feelings with somebody and I'm afraid I'll never have that again, right? These feelings, I think, when we protect ourselves from them, we start to deny them even from ourselves. And then I think we start to really disconnect parts of ourselves from our identities. And that's where things get really messy. I'm very lucky to have pretty much everyone I've ever been in a relationship with still in my life, other than a couple of notable exceptions when things got weird and dramaful, right? When I look at those relationships, those like maybe two or three relationships that we were very intimate and then everything kind of ended in like a we can't ever talk to each other again thing. It was because we weren't talking. We, we didn't gently, lovingly step away from a good thing. We decided that it was a bad thing that we had to step away from. And I think what happens is when you label something that you loved as toxic, whether it was or not, then you start to have to build walls around it to protect yourself. And I think that it comes a lot from like, this lack of compassion for ourselves. We, we look at the, the thing and we say, oh God, I was such an idiot to love you. Or I can't believe I made those dumb choices to be closer to you. And we start to shame ourselves for what we felt was a good choice at the time. And that embarrassment, that shame feeds a lot of the drama too. Hmm. So I love how you started out by saying drama-free is hard, but possible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you mentioned kind of a lot of things that cause drama. And the word vulnerability keeps coming up when you talk about tiptoeing into intimacy and we talk about holding parts of ourselves back. That term vulnerability comes up because it seems like people are, are putting shields in order to not feel hurt, not feel judged, not feel shame. And you mentioned that drama comes from withholding things, from not being honest. And a lot of times we don't talk about our true feelings because we do have certain fears around perhaps being rejected if we are to express our true feelings. Perhaps fear of if we express a desire of ours is going to be judgment and shame around that desire. So if drama comes from not being honest, not talking about our feelings, denying ourselves and not being vulnerable, what are the steps that we want to start taking to cause less drama in our future relationships? Oh my goodness. Well, I think the first thing is to really get to know yourself well. I think that the more you can understand yourself and the challenges you have, the fears you have, the desires you have, and I, I don't mean just kind of having an inner sense of knowing, I, I mean like actually like labeling these things. I think the better things can be. I'm, I'm thinking now of a personal experience where I was with one of my ex-girlfriends has an incredible 
self-knowledge. She's been in therapy for a really, really long time. And for that reason, she's been able to label things really clearly and articulate her feelings. So even when she's freaking out or upset, she can articulate what she's freaking out about and in what way she's upset. She can tell me what I'm doing that makes her feel unsafe. She's really good at that. And so she can have this experience of heightened emotion paired with this incredible self-knowledge. And so, you know, our fights, and I'm using air quotes that you can't see, but our fights were always <laughs> these kind of intense articulation of our feelings, right? And I don't mean like rage. I mean, just like, I'm feeling this because this is what's happening and I'm scared and blah, blah, blah. And it allowed for our fights to be pretty quick and resolved pretty nicely. And even if maybe we went to bed angry the next day, we were like, ugh, I understand you so much better. Thank you for sharing all that with me, right? And... I really loved that because I think that it's almost like, to draw an analogy, like safer sex. The conversation about safer sex is terrifying to people who aren't used to having a conversation about safer sex. What you need to feel safe, what boundaries you have, what prophylactics you want to use, and in what touch you're okay with and what you're not with. Like, this is a conversation that is terrifying to a lot of people and almost impossible to many people. But for those of us who have practiced it, we are great at it. We can get a safer sex conversation done in three minutes and we can then know exactly how we can make our partners feel safe and how we can feel safe to enjoy sex with one another, right? But it just takes a little bit of practice. So I think that a lot of the stepping into vulnerability and stepping away from drama is about getting really good at knowing yourself to know when things don't feel right. And this can often occur to a lot of people as just intuition. Like being in a really good working relationship with your intuition, really knowing when your intuition has something to say to you. And that requires a lot of practice and listening. It requires a lot of solo work. I think a lot of people do enter into relationships as the workshops, right? They're workshopping their sense of love and relationships <laughs> while in a relationship, which is, it's kind of like learning how to fly a plane once you're already in the cockpit alone, right? And that's a, that's a really dangerous way to enter into these things because you're going to make bad choices and you're going to screw up and you're going to have to take a while to learn about why you screwed up. And in the meantime, you can often hurt yourself and another person. So I think doing a lot of self-work is really important. And this can happen while in a relationship too. I certainly don't mean that we all have to be single until we're perfect, but I do mean it, it, that we have to be willing to interrogate our, our assumptions about ourselves and be willing to do a lot of homework and kind of sit with feelings and you know, practice meditation if that, that works for you, and all the things that we need to learn how to listen really well to what our inner voices are saying. Hmm. So I love what you just said. I love this phrase. I'm going to tweet it after this interview. We want to step into vulnerability to step out of drama. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, totally. <laughs> it's beautiful. Thank you. And so you mentioned the first thing we want to do is to get to know ourselves. Mm -hmm. You mentioned getting in touch with our intuition, getting in touch with our feelings. And the more we know our own fears, the more we know our own desires, the better equipped we are to deal with the challenges in relationships. And one of the reasons I love that is because we're often told that we have to like love ourselves before we can love somebody else. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people have no idea who they are. Right. <laughs> <terms Right>. like, <laughs> how am I supposed to love myself if I don't even know? who it is, this entity that I'm loving. So I almost feel like we should know ourselves and then we mm -hmm. can love ourselves. 
Yeah, I think that self-love is a, it's a challenging one. And I've heard that too. And I, I, I take a lot of the qualms with it that a lot of people do. This idea that how can I feel love until I, until I know how to love myself. And I think that you're right. It's not so much about loving ourselves. It's about knowing ourselves. It's about listening to ourselves. And I think it's about having compassion for ourselves. And I think that, you know, the compassion is more important, I think, than self-love sometimes. We just have to be willing to like treat ourselves like we would a loved friend where we just like forgive ourselves when we make a dumb choice and are patient with ourselves when we are confused. And those I think are far more important in terms of loving relationships so that you can actually develop the skill sets required to explore self-love. But I think that that's just a step along the way. I think that compassion is where you really need to begin. Hmm. So you have some really incredible advice in your book as well, getting it, including a section on making good choices and Mm -hmm. another one on self-improvement. And I kind of want to get into both of these. So what are the first steps to making better choices in our relationships? I think the first thing to do is to really have an intention in mind, to really know what this choice is trying to get you towards, right? And I think especially with sex and relationships, there are infinite reasons why you might choose towards or away from something or someone. So just getting clear on what that intention is, right? If we're talking about sex, I would say, you know, why are you looking for sex right now? Is it that you're just got out of a bad relationship and you just need to heal your heart? Is it that you want to learn to do new things? Is it that there's a curiosity that you've always had that you've never been able to experience? Do you just want to maybe prove to yourself you can, right? Like there are so many different reasons to have sex and pleasure is a big one, but it's not the only one, right? So I think having that intention in mind is great because that will let you choose towards things that help you find resolution in that intention. So I think that's the first thing. And then I think, you know, talking about intuition and really just respecting yourself is another key. When you really don't like yourself, when you really like hate yourself, right? It's very easy to choose people who prove you right, right? You choose people sometimes that prove you right by treating you badly, right? So getting to know yourself and learning to trust your intuition and treat yourself with compassion helps you choose people who also treat you with respect and compassion, right? And again, it doesn't have to be love, but it can be love. But I think we like to be right about ourselves. So we choose people who prove us right, whether that's for horrible self-loathing reasons or for really wonderful reasons. So I think that's really important to keep in mind too. When you don't like yourself, it's very easy to choose people who prove you right. Mm -hmm. It's very true. If we have low self-esteem, we often choose somebody who kind of is not very nice to us because we might think almost unconsciously that we deserve such treatment. Mm -hmm. And I mean, even on a deeper level, sometimes we force good, otherwise good people into treating us badly because we, that's what we think we need or deserve. I think that's often where a lot of drama comes from is that, you know, we choose good people, but then we turn them into the enemies that we need. So I'm very curious your perspective on this, because I know you're a very sex positive person. And you just mentioned that that there are so many different reasons to have sex and so many different reasons people do have sex. And we really need to reflect on our intention. And I'm curious if you think there are some reasons that are better than other reasons. (laughs) (laughs) So maybe I want sex because I'm bored. Maybe I want sex because I feel like it might validate me as a person. Maybe I think I have sex because if I have a lot of sex partners, then that makes me superior to others. Maybe I want sex because I'm in love with this person. When we reflect on our intention, become aware of it, 
how do we work with that? What if it seems like it's not the best reason? Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. Like, it is tough to say. I do think that there some reasons are better than others. Some reasons are more affirming than others. Some reasons are gentler than others. Mm. Uh, and some reasons are better to our partners than others, right? And I think that when we start to examine those reasons, it's really important not to let kind of societal norms dictate what those things are, right? And so I think that, you know, I want to have sex because I want to get paid to have sex because I'd really like to pay my rent, right? <laughs> society might say, hey, that's a terrible reason to have sex, right? Mm. A lot of different groups within society might say that's the worst reason to have sex. I personally don't think that that's a terrible reason to have sex. I think that's a perfectly valid reason to have sex if that feels like the right choice for a person. So I think it's important to interrogate those assumptions under what makes something bad or good. I think that the choices around when we have sex need to be evaluated based on how much they harm another person and how much they harm oneself, right? So if you're having sex to prove to somebody else you can do it, if you're having sex for revenge, right, those are reasons that are based on harming another person. And I would suggest that that is probably not a great reason to have sex. And at the same time... I agree. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and at the same time, I believe that the first step is to really notice that. If you go through the list of reasons to have sex and you're like, revenge is my number one, right? Then that could be maybe your wake-up call. That could be a moment of, oh, wow, is this really what I need to be doing with my time right now? Is this really going to bring good things into my life, right? A lot of times we can think that it feels like righteous, it feels justified, it maybe is based on a place of rage, and that can feel really good, right? It's scratching an itch that needs to be scratched. But I recommend considering other ways to maybe more positively work through those feelings in your life that don't create more problems down the line, right? Because especially when we're dealing with other people's hearts and egos, using other people for what they can give you in your in your life, if it's a positive thing, can generate more positivity. And if it's a negative thing, can ultimately just create more problems than, than you started with. And I think it's just important to acknowledge that. And this is kind of where logic comes in handy, right? I think we often think of sexual choices as just pure emotion, passion of the moment. I just connected with this person and now I want to have sex with them. I think it's a really good idea to integrate our logical minds into the choices that we make around sex. To think, how much do I want this person or how much do they just remind me of my ex, right? How much joy do I think this interaction will bring me versus I'm just really, really lonely right now and I really need to just kind of maybe feel lovable or feel sexy, right? And when we integrate our logical minds, then we can start to figure out different ways of getting those needs met. And that need might be met best by sex, but it also might be met by friendship or dance or art or alone time or movement. And there are so many different ways to find our way through some hard feelings. And I think it's just worth kind of spending some time to really think about what we're doing. Hmm. Before the word vulnerability came up, and now the word authenticity is coming up for me mm -hmm. when you talk about not letting societal norms dictate whether our reasons are right or wrong. It does really feel like listening to our heart, listening to our intuition, taking time to pause and reflect on whether or not our choices and intentions are serving ourselves and the people we're in a relationship with. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So my earlier question was around the first steps to making better choices in our relationships. And then I heard, have your intention in mind, respect yourself. What are some next steps? 
Well, I think using past experiences is really helpful, right? And this kind of goes back to the logic thing of like, you know, when I've done this in the past, if I've done this in the past, what were the results? And really kind of just being a little bit scientific about it can really help. And I think this comes kind of a plays a lot into the patterns that I was kind of hinting at. We often choose sexual partners to maybe heal parts of ourselves that need healed or to find an answer that we're looking for. And I think that that's okay. But I think that it's really helpful when we say, okay, I did this with a very similar person, you know, two years ago. What was the result? How did that work out for me? Right. And it may have been like, oh, no, that got me closer to figuring that thing out. Great. Or it could be, oh, my God, I just felt like exactly like I felt when I was 17 years old in this really shitty situation. Right. And that's entirely possible, too. So kind of just use that prior experience to to kind of figure out, give yourself a little bit of pattern recognition to see what mm. patterns I might be playing out or what novel choices might get me closer to where I want to go. Mm. It's true, because a lot of people kind of enter into the same you said not to use toxic earlier, but I'm going to use it anyways, toxic relationships <laughs> over and over again, because they haven't identified the patterns that are bringing them into those negative relationships. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And this is where I think that kind of, like I said, logic and, and feelings go hand in hand, like think about it critically, but then also really focus on what your feelings are. Like, do I feel better about myself when I, when I make this choice? Do I feel worse about myself? What am I getting from this? And is it working, right? Do I like myself? Do I like the way I feel afterwards? Those two things hand in hand can really help make great choices. Mm. And I think this is a little bit tough for some people who may have had abusive households or really just kind of shitty upbringings, to be perfectly honest. Like your intuition might be super screwed up. You might have a borked relationship with your intuition, right? Because you don't know if you can trust your feelings. And so I think for people like that, where they're like, I don't even know if this feels good or this might feel hot, but it, it feels also like wrong. This is where I think it's really important to kind of sit with that and to really listen to that really quiet voice that's trying to tell you something. Because intuition tends to be very quiet, but very certain. So I think sometimes it comes, you have to be able to sit with it and like deconstruct it and really remove the layers and layers of context of, you know, society, of our parents, of, you know, bad breakups in the past to really get to the, the root of all of it, which is telling us something about ourselves that we need to hear. But I think it's often the hardest part to hear because the rest of the world is just so noisy. It's a signal to noise ratio sometimes that we need to work out. Mm. So intuition tends to be quiet, but certain. Mm -hmm. And it's not related to our topic at hand, but it reminds me of there's a lot of talk about prevalent social media use and how the more social media use you have tends to be correlated with anxiety and depression. And when you mention that question of inquiry, hmm, do I feel better or do I feel worse as I'm doing these, as I'm making these decisions, is it working? It's also one of the techniques is like when you're scrolling through that feed, take a moment to check in. Do I feel better the more I scroll down? And a lot of times it's like, no, I don't. <laughs> yep. Yep. I, I mean, gosh, this past year has been just wall to wall that. And I, mm. I've actually been practicing that myself. It's hard. It's hard. I mean, you and I are pretty much the same age. So it's like we came of age with the internet being part of our lives. And this idea of like, we, I, I do feel addicted to it in a way. And I still feel I feel gross. It's almost it is mm. almost like, you know, alcohol, where it's just like, I feel terrible. Why do I do this? And yet somehow <laughs> I'm still reaching for the bottle, right? Mm -hmm. I think it's really important for us to kind of 
sit with that and listen to that voice and then mm. also like give that voice credence. I think it's a lot of us are really good at pushing that voice away because the hit is coming, the next tweet or the next rage on the internet. But I think it's really important to kind of like put that down and just feel and just listen and just kind of be with ourselves alone and not take our smartphone into the bathroom with ourselves and just really like be willing to be alone and idle mm, for a little mm -hmm. while because that's how we hear that voice. But it's really hard when we're constantly barraging ourselves with new information. Hmm. So I almost feel like I'm talking to a wise sage right now, Allison. <laughs> wow. <laughs> You're telling me to, you know, quiet my mind, listen to my heart, listen to my intuition. And I thought we were going to talk about how to get laid in this book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have bad news for people looking buying my book for that reason. <laughs> so what's, what's the deal when we talk about, say, getting it, and you have kind of your own definition of what it means to get it and what it means to hook up? We're not talking about, uh, I want to have as much sex as possible with as many people as possible because then I'm a better person and superior to others who have less sex, are we? Mm -hmm. No. I think that, <laughs> yeah, getting it is really about understanding sex as kind of its own entity and how everyone relates to it differently. And I think that our society t tends to give us this very like homogeneous idea of what sex is, that everybody wants it in the same way for the same reasons. And I think that getting it means, and of course, it's a little bit of a double entendre, right? But getting it means like you get that sex is different and sex is complicated, but that doesn't mean that it's not worth exploring if that feels what's important to you, right? And so I think that getting it means that sex is better and relationships are better when we are more vulnerable, when we are more connected, when we are more intimate, when we bring our feelings with us rather than lock them in the hallway outside. But I think, you know, especially with casual sex, there's this idea that, you know, real loving sex happens with marriage or long-term monogamy. And casual sex is something removed from that. It's something where you leave all those good things out of it and just experience physical pleasure. I disagree with that take. I think that casual sex can be just as enriching and fulfilling and healing as a long-term relationship. But in order to do that, we have to invite all those things into the bedroom with us. And that's what a lot of people are most afraid of. I feel like everyone's going to agree with sex is better and relationships are better when we bring our feelings with us and when we're more vulnerable and when we focus on the intimacy and connection. And then your more controversial statement is sex can be just as enriching and fulfilling and healing as long-term relationships. Mm -hmm. So let's get into that because we've already talked about sex being about vulnerability. And I think when a lot of people think about casual sex, they think like, okay, I want to have sex, but I don't want to be vulnerable. So let's keep it casual. <laughs> like it seems like almost right. a strategy. So I think for most people, the term casual sex means not getting any emotions involved, right? No strings attached. Mm -hmm. So when you're using this term casual sex, I'm wondering what does it mean to you and how do we bring vulnerability to it? Sure. Yeah. So I, I do have a kind of a long definition about what I mean by casual sex in the book. But, you know, for this purpose, I mean, Sex for sex's sake, right? Sex because you're feeling the vibe of the night or you, you want to have sex with somebody for your own reasons. And so it centers pleasure and it centers collaboration and it centers the moment. You're not thinking about what happens in three days or three years. You're focused on what can we create together right now? 
So that's what I mean by casual. It has fewer expectations put on it. And I think that's kind of where the, the key differentiation is. Like sex with a long-term partner can be, you know, phenomenal and also add all sorts of different expectations of like, we're doing this to preserve our relationship. We're doing this to make a baby. We're doing this because, you know, you had a really tough day and all these different things. And casual sex is more about like the two or more people in that situation, just having that situation and bringing everything to the table for however long that interaction lasts, right? So I think that's the big difference between casual sex and, you know, long-term relationship sex. Did that answer your question? I feel like maybe there was a second part that I missed. Yeah, it answered it like five different amazing ways. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> sex for sex's sake, because you're feeling the vibe, because you're in the moment. And again, we're not saying that you mentioned sex with a long-term partner can be really beautiful and phenomenal. And it's not like casual sex is any better, but it is just another way of, of bringing this action of intimacy and connection into our life in more ways. And I want to connect that a little bit to to love, because a lot of people do think that love only exists between two people in a committed and exclusive partnership, and that sex is also reserved for a committed and exclusive partnership. And the two kind of go hand in hand. So I'm curious what love means to you. Oh, my goodness. Wow. That's a <laughs> giant question. Oh, man. Well, I think that, you know, for some people, sex can only exist in a long-term relationship for people if that's what they want. I certainly don't want to be an evangelist for casual sex. If that doesn't feel right for you, I'm certainly not suggesting that everybody needs to have it. I'm just suggesting that people can have hot, connected, casual sex and still be vulnerable and authentic and loving. So I just want to make sure that that's clear to people who are listening. To me, gosh, love is an emotional investment in the growth and experience of life of other people. Hmm. And I think that, you know, for me, there are some people that you choose, like, I'm, I want you in my life for as long as you'll let me stay, right? Like, I want you for the long haul. And I certainly have those people in my life, and I'm very grateful for those love relationships. And in those ways, I'm invested in the long haul in their growth and their experience of and joy of life. And there are other people that I feel that way for a weekend, right? Like I am invested in you for these 48 hours mm. we get to spend together. And I want to enrich you and add to your experience of life for these 48 hours. And so mm. that's kind of where I think that this, the, the love thing can be kind of holographic, right? It can be everything all at once for the rest of my life and it can be everything all at once for a limited period of time that's beautiful one of the one of my favorite things about loving partnerships is the growth and support that both partners go through yes and when you mention like sex with two or more people and when you mention all these people that you have in your life that support you and that you have supported and along with the long-term partnership that you have as people have gone in and out of your life and changed who you are and have to become the person that you are. I wanted to talk a little bit about community. And mm -hmm. I was wondering what kind of community means to you and also why casual sex and community are connected. Mm. Yeah, I think community, that's such a tough one because I think people use it. I mean, kind of like we use love in this kind of, we overuse it, right? I think mm. that we say things like, you know, the queer community or the trans community or the Protestant community or whatever. And when we actually dig down, we're like, this isn't really a community, right? I think that when I use community, that form of love in a collective way, it's kind of the mutual aid thing that we hear a lot about. I am invested in 
this collective of people in a way where I want to do my best to enrich the collective. I want my presence to be additive to a community. I care about the health of a group of people, and I care about the mental health of a group of people, and I care about the enrichment of a group of people. And I think I think about that a lot these days when we're in the midst of a pandemic, right? I think some of us may have been thinking about community more now than ever in our in our lives until this point, because we're aware now of how our choices affect the actual lives of people in our geographic community in ways we may not have ever considered before. And when we talk about like things like, you know, vaccines or masks as acts of compassion, like we had to learn to wear masks, not for our own health, but for those of people we will not ever really get to know. And I think that that was a really beautiful teaching moment for a lot of us to be like, I am taking responsibility for my contribution to a community. And I think that that's really key. And I think a lot of us who already, you know, the the folks who are in, you know, polyamorous communities or people who already are like who have, you know, are in sex communities, we've already been doing that, right? We were already aware of the process of transitivity in terms of both physical health, but also in terms of mental health and communication skills. We've learned to talk about this stuff because we know that my choices will affect not just you, but your partner and your partner's partner. Because we share space and we share, in some ways, you know, bodily fluids and we share energy and we share drama sometimes. And so I think that it encourages us to, when we think in community ways, we start to think about how our choices impact not just the person we're sitting in front of in that moment, not just ourselves, but everyone that's in those bubbles, everyone that's in that, that energetic space is also affected in some ways. And I think it, it requires us to take responsibility for what we're putting into that space. It's so important to recognize how we are all connected and that our actions do have effect of others. And that, again, is something that's really come up during the pandemic is that our choices around how much to go out, how much to gather doesn't affect just our immediate circle, but anyone who could attract or anyone who could get the disease that we are responsible for not transmitting as much as possible. And I love what you said, that the community is a form of love in a collective way. And that to me is one of the greatest shifts I think we can begin to make in our lives is that many people do have a kind of binary definition and idea of love as something that exists between only two people, only in a committed partnership. And it really ignores all the loving relationships that support us on a day-to-day basis from our friends and our family. And I know it's really hard now to cultivate more connection in community. And I wonder if you had any advice or recommendations for people to bring more community in their lives and to feel more of a collective love that we almost have the impact to change Everyone that we see, everyone that we meet is impacted by our words and our decisions and our actions. So how can we cultivate that connection with others? I think that's a really great and a really big question. One thing personally I've been thinking about a lot for my for my own life, again, the, that COVID has really helped me with, is thinking locally, literally. I think mm-hmm. that, you know, again, being a plugged in elder millennial, I'm so used to fostering relationships around the world. You know, my best friend lives, like one of my best friends lives in London and one of my best friends lives in Los Angeles and one of my best friends lives in Rhode Island. And so like, it's really easy to cultivate those relationships for a person like me. 
But I think it's really important to really focus on how we can cultivate love in our on our block, right? This is a little bit of non sequitur, but trust me where I'm going with this. Um, <laughs> one of my friends, Angel Adiyoha, is indigenous and was speaking to my partner about the Native American Day of Mourning, which a lot of people consider Thanksgiving, and how she's been encouraging people for a really long time to stop celebrating Thanksgiving as a feast because it is really hurtful for a lot of indigenous people. And she said, she shared this saying that like she was edified to see a lot of people who couldn't celebrate Thanksgiving because of, you know, travel restrictions right now were starting to choose different traditions. And a lot of them were choosing to do things like clean up trash and take food to their elderly neighbors and to basically reconnect to the planet, reconnect to their little sphere and how important that was to kind of use that day to reify, to re-explore our connections to one another and, and the earth. And in that, she said, like, she really felt like those people were in many ways celebrating the tenets that indigenous people believe and held on to for so long, but without even really knowing that they were doing that. And in that way, she felt really that all of a sudden there was a new connection to that. And so I think that for me, that's been something I've been really trying to focus on, you know, who's around me that could use help? How can I use the energy, the privilege that I have to improve the lives of people around me? I think that that's really key right now. And, you know, a lot of us who are single and living in apartment buildings in cities, and we just kind of don't know anyone around us, and we feel really isolated, like, how can we step a little bit more into community and, and get to know our neighbors and, and get to know our neighborhood? And at the same time, Think about those relationships that we already do have that could use more shoring up. Because I think you were right when you said that we tend to prize like marriage and sexual relationships as kind of the, the, the pinnacle of relationship, right? Whereas like platonic relationships can be some of the most enriching relationships in our lives and some of the most intimate and vulnerable relationships in our lives if we let them. But we think of sex as this ultimate intimate act. Whereas, you know, deep, connected conversation can be far more intimate, can be far more revealing. And so those people that we can have that connection with, like, how can we show up for them more? How can we open ourselves up to their love a little bit more, even if they do live across the world, right? How can we share this time with, with one another better? How can we improve those relationships even better? How can we heal parts of the relationships that may have fallen apart in some way? What conversations are we not having? What, what grudges are we still holding? And how can we maybe start to untangle that and connect a little bit better? Hmm. That's so beautiful. I'm kind of hearing like three different paths. And the first one was really just connecting to the world that we're in right now. I know many people are probably used to traveling all over the world and traveling all over the country. And now that we're stuck, we have the opportunity to kind of explore our own backyard and to meet our neighbors and to get to know our neighborhood. And then number two, what I'm hearing is just reach out to people whose friends you might not have talked to in a while. I think we all would appreciate like a phone call or a text message from an old friend just saying, hey, I'm just thinking of you. I know a lot of us are struggling right now, and it can be really nice to reach out to others because we have so many ways that we can do that. And then thirdly, just that final examination of ourselves, like, where am I holding back from connection? What grudges am I holding? Who am I unwilling to forgive? What resistance do I have 
to connection with other people who might have wronged me or might have just said something and then we again we lost touch and that ties right into connecting with ourselves which we've already talked about quite a few times already so we're almost running out of time so let's just focus on two last questions because you just mentioned how we want to let go of the grudges and hear the parts of our relationships that are tender and sore and I feel like that ties directly into love for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, how do you encourage people to cultivate more self-love? Oh, my goodness. Well, that... <laughs> it's it's a lot, right? I think that there's there's a lot uh, that we need to focus on. And I think it's it's really hard sometimes. Again, some of us might be much better at loving other people than we are at loving ourselves. Mm-hmm. So I think that sometimes it can be easier for people to think about themselves as they were a trusted friend, right? To think about what what advice we would give somebody that we love very much and then give that advice to ourselves. I think that that's really hard. I think that I was writing this book while I was also treating myself like garbage in times because I I was Mm. mad at myself for making some bad choices in relationships. And it was an interesting moment to like literally lay this out on text and then ignore my own advice like later that day, right? So I think that it's really important to think about the advice we'd give somebody else and to take it and to to give it to ourselves with love and compassion. And that means we have to be able to forgive ourselves for choices that were either bad or didn't go the way we wanted to. We have to cultivate curiosity and compassion and empathy for ourselves just as much as we would for, you know, a loving relationship. And I think we have to really just learn to love ourselves because of all of our nuances and quirks and challenges. Again, like no one that any of us love is a perfect person. We might think that they are in those first like six weeks of falling in love with them, but then we quickly realize that they are not a perfect person, but we love them anyway. And I think that we have to give ourselves that same permission to say like, you know what, I'm not great at this thing, but I'm getting better. And I'm going to keep learning about it for the rest of my life. And to kind of extend that same generosity of spirit that we would to another person, to ourselves. I think that it's important to acknowledge that this is like a lifelong journey. Like there is no, I now love myself forever and ever, amen. Like that doesn't really happen. This isn't a one and done thing. This is more of a path that we choose. And it's a path that we choose to walk hopefully every day. And we're never going to get to the end of that path. It's just an endless unfolding of self-knowledge, of self-love, of community knowledge, of community love. And every day we can just get better and better. That's so beautiful. Earlier on in our conversation, you said that conversations around safer sex are terrifying for those who aren't used to having them, Mm -hmm. but those that practice it are used to it. And I was thinking that same principle applies to so many things in our lives. At first, the task can seem daunting. We can reach challenges in our life that we're really scared, like, you know, even having a difficult conversation with a partner. But the more we practice, the the better we get at it. Mm -hmm. And when I'm hearing you talk about curiosity and compassion and empathy and forgiveness and self-knowledge and self-love, all of these things are practices. Mm -hmm. And like a muscle, the more we use it, the better and stronger it gets. That's so beautiful. Thank you so much, Allison, for coming on to the show. I want to finish by asking you a question I love to ask all of my guests, which is quite simply, what do you wish everyone knew about love? (sighs) That it can look different for every person. 
that it can look different for you than it looks for the people that you love in your life. And that it's a practice, not a thing. It's not an entity. It is a, it is a mm. constant unfolding of knowledge and of compassion and of learning. Mm. It's a practice and not a thing. It's a path that we walk and we choose to walk it every day. Mm -hmm. Oh, Allison, I have so much love for you. Thank you so much for coming on to the show and sharing us your very sage-like wisdom. We, you know, we didn't mention vulvas or... or I'm sage-like about vulvas too, but it's a different kind of vibe. Yeah. So for our listeners who want to learn more about you and find you, where can they go? Uh, Girlsex101 is my website, so girlsex101.com. There you can look at my older books and you can also pre-order getting it um, which comes out on december 29th you can also follow me on the social medias if you have not put down your phone at uh <laughs> on twitter at hey ally moon yeah those are the best places well thank you so much for sharing your insights and wisdom and thank you listeners for listening to the show we hope you realize that if you want to get it that involves vulnerability, it involves practice, practicing curiosity, compassion, empathy, and forgiveness, practicing self-awareness, knowing what you want, what you need, knowing your fears, practicing, again, being vulnerable in your partnerships, whether it's a long-term partnership you can practice vulnerability in, or the most casual of sex is also going to improve by practicing vulnerability and being honest, honest with yourself and honest with anyone who you decide to enter into a relationship with. No matter what society tells you about how love and sex is supposed to look, the only thing that matters is your authentic desires and what is true in your own heart. If you want to learn more about me, you can head to zachbeach.com and learn more about the show at theheartcenter.com. Thanks again, Allison. Thank you, Zach. Thanks again for listening to the Learn to Love podcast. To learn more about the show and your host, head over to ZachBeach.com or TheHeartCenter.com. You can also follow Zach on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 